Hello, and welcome to our Founded Connected Philanthropy podcast. Today, we are privileged to have Corey Brester, the Director of Information Systems at Foundant Technologies, and Lynn Soweth, Manager of Security Services at High Point Networks, as our guests. And we will be talking about cybersecurity again, how to keep yourself and others safe, along with what you should do if you find yourself exposed to a cyber attack. Our special guest, Lynn from High Point Networks, oversees the physical and cybersecurity teams at High Point Networks, a technology service provider who helps organizations buy and use technology. We're excited that Lynn brings with her extensive background in security, education, planning, and testing. High Point Networks has also been a speaker on Foundant's educational webinar series and is one of Foundant's trusted partners in the security and information technology space. So thank you so much for joining us today. And now I'll turn it over to Corey and Lynn for their discussion on cybersecurity and incident response. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for that um, that welcome. And Lynn, thanks for thanks for joining us on and helping us educate. Um, our nonprofit audience, um, as well as anyone else that might find this this podcast. Uh, we'll start out, Lynn. Um, you know, you've worked with uh, High Point Networks for several years um, as a partner of Foundant. Tell us a little bit about how you landed in, in security um, and how, how you got to where you are today. Landing in security is kind of an interesting thing. I, landing is a good way to put it, actually. Um, in my previous life, I worked in K-12 education. Um, and also was in a flood prone area of the world. So in as part of a flood response, all of our schools were closed and we housed emergency units. Uh, we housed the National Guard, we housed disaster medical assistance units, we housed those folks in our schools. And I worked as a liaison between those disaster medical assistance teams and the school district to make sure that they had what they needed. Got interested in what they were doing, ended up joining a Minnesota disaster response team, ended up going to a federal disaster response team that responded to things like Hurricane Harvey and those, those uh, natural disasters throughout the United States. So as part of that, incident response just became part of my life. So I took that back to my school district that I was working in. I worked with them to build security plans for within the school, what the teachers would do if they were having a bad day. Uh, we did tabletop exercises and then we did real world responses where we evacuated schools and reunited students with uh, fake parents and, and all kinds of things like that. So I kind of fell into security that way I really didn't come to High Point for the security piece. I came to High Point as a project manager. And as a project manager, I worked particularly the cybersecurity projects. And so everything just kind of flowed together. I can now take the cybersecurity that I've learned, put it together with my real world uh, disaster planning. Um, and here I am. Excellent. Long story. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Lynn. Um, so you know your your background combines that cybersecurity as well as that kind of more physical incident response, um, that, which is a great reminder for everyone that the cybersecurity is not the only thing you need to be prepared for out there. You also there's the preparedness of any other disasters that can be um, related to your area, natural disasters, um, 
economic disasters, pandemic response, um, as we've all gone through recently. Lynn, um, the, the nonprofits that we work with are so many, come in so many different sizes of organizations. What advice do you have for um, a nonprofit getting started in either building their security posture or building their incident response? It all starts with a plan. If you're going to build a house, you have a plan. If you buy a dresser from Ikea, they give you a plan with instructions to put it together. And so to have a good security posture, you have to have a plan. Um, The CIS controls are a great way to start. Uh, Center for Internet Security, they have a set of 18 controls that they suggest that you put in place and that will help improve your security posture. They have Implementation standards for those controls and implementation standard one is your basic cybersecurity posture. Take that, start start putting that into all places of your organization. Um, Once you've got a plan in place, you're going to identify gaps in that plan. And so to spend your money wisely and your resources wisely, because both money and resources are finite, Spend your money to plug the holes in that plan. Once you've got those holes plugged, then you're ready to kind of assess. What other vulnerabilities do I have in my network? Maybe that's a network vulnerability assessment. Maybe that's some phishing campaigns for your users because secure the humans is a huge thing that you need to worry about. Um, So find the rest of those vulnerabilities that you've got out there. Again, spend your money wisely, plug those vulnerabilities, then you're ready to test then you're ready for that tabletop exercise. Then you're ready for that real world continuous phishing um, campaign that goes monthly to your folks to continue to educate them. Uh, By that point, you're gonna identify some more gaps, plug those gaps. We're back to looking at, I bet the security, uh, security landscape is completely different. So we need to review that plan again. It's a circle. There is no end to the security game. It's a cycle, start with a plan. Excellent. Thanks, Lynn. Um, I think just as a reminder for everyone, it's not a one a once and done. It is, as you as you mentioned, it is an ever-evolving landscape. You can't just put something in place and assume it's going to work for later. You can't put a plan in place and assume that it's going to to still be um, valid in, in a year, two years. We have to step back and um, reevaluate those. The other thing I would add there too, Corey, is there's we all want magic fairy dust, right? We want to put a piece of equipment in place and now I'm done. The bad guys can't get to me. But it's really people, products, and processes. You need all three working together. You need to be training your people consistently. You do need products. You need firewalls to protect yourself. You need endpoint um, protection for all of your devices. Um, And then you also have to have a process. What's your process for... Uh, a team member of yours that feels that they might have clicked on a phishing email, what's their next step? You have to have a process for them to come and report it to you. Yeah, absolutely. We, we experience those, those things on a, on a daily basis. Those, these ever-changing um, threats are just it's, uh, something new every day. Uh, how would you say, Lynn, in your in your uh, years of experience um, with cybersecurity, how has that landscape changed? I don't know if the bad actors are getting smarter or lazier, to be honest. Um, so right now, what we've got is things like um, ransomware as a service. 
So you get a bad actor who gets into your network and he just kind of puts a pin there and then he puts you out on the dark web and says, hey, I've got a pin at Foundant. Uh, does anybody want to ransomware him? And somebody comes along and says, yeah, I'll buy that pin from you. Well, here's my ransomware as a service. It's ransomware in a box. Go ahead, deploy it. They really don't have to work as hard at things anymore. Um, encryption. Ransomware used to be the biggest thing, right? Ransomware everything. Nobody can work anymore. What they found is ransomware takes time. They have to have time to get into your network. They have to take the time to ransomware everything. They have to negotiate back and forth with you. And nowadays, people have good backups. So they weren't getting that ransom paid anymore. People were saying, no, I just have backups. Go away. Don't need to deal with you. We'll be down for a few days until we get everything back up and running with our backup. We're good to go. So they were failing. Um, so then what they've gone to now is instead of encrypting, sometimes I don't even bother with that anymore. They go in and they steal your data. And then they're going to leak that on the dark web. So it's really more extortion now, wanting to keep your data safe. That too takes time though. They still have to figure out how to get into your network some way, shape or form. So they're finding it really easy to use the business email compromise. That's on the rise right now. That's easy enough to send that email that says, hey, I need some iTunes gift cards. I'm in a meeting, you know, that urgency, that rush, please help me, you know, um, we're all nice people. We all want to help. And so that urgency really gets to us. Uh, if, in fact, they get you to go buy those iTunes gift cards and give them the, the account codes, they're money ahead. If they don't, they'll just move on to someone else. The nice thing, too, about business email compromise is they're not sitting at their computer typing in your email address and sending it to you. They've got programs that do this all automatically for them. They kick it off at night. The next morning they come and they see who has responded. We'll kick off another email to them. Hey, I need a wire transfer. Hey, I need my, um, my payroll information changed because I've got a new bank. They win in a small percentage of those because we keep educating our users, all of us, and people are getting better at recognizing those phishing campaigns, but it's an easy win for them and doesn't take as much time. So I'd say that's kind of the, the biggest shift is we're shifting away from ransomware encryption more into the business email compromise. Excellent. Um, I definitely, you know, we've seen more and more of those, even just um, SMS phishing, um, kind of campaigns going across and even those have gotten more creative in in calling out that somebody was on vacation or at a conference um, to even add even more of that social engineering um, compelling event uh, to try to convince the end user that yes I need to go buy those those gift cards um, and and then you mentioned a couple things there that just to piggyback on earlier in our conversation, around having a plan. What is your plan should you um, experience ransomware? Are you making that decision to pay the ransom? Did you create a plan for those backups where they where it doesn't matter? Did you create a plan to protect your data so that there wasn't anything that could be um, mm -hmm. extorted um, on, the, on the dark web? Um, if we switch gears a little bit, um, I wanna talk about that incident response and creating that plan for incident response and in, in your experience with the, the school districts and, and whatnot, um, what should people start with for incident response as it relates to a security incident? 
you need a framework to start with. You can't write a playbook for every single incident, but you need a framework that identifies who is going to be involved in the incident. Who's going to take over? Who is going to be the overarching incident commander? It's not necessarily your CEO. It's not necessarily your IT guy, but your incident commander has to be in charge of the entire incident. Your IT guy might be your operations manager, making sure that things get fixed. Um, you're going to need a logistics person. So if we're going to have an incident that's going to run into multiple days, we got to feed these people. We have to bring water to these people. We have to make sure that people are getting rest. We need a logistics person. You're going to need a financial person. Who's your financial person that's going to be able to determine are you willing to pay a ransom or not? Um, who is the person that can say, yes, we are going to contact cyber insurance right now? Uh, you need to identify these people first and foremost. Right now, you need to identify the person and a second because everybody be deserves to be able to go on vacation in the Bahamas and not have cell service and not worry about an incident response at that point in time. So have your second there as well. So as you build out your framework of people, you're going to leave it to your smart people to fix the incident. Your IT people are going to fix the incident, but what do they fix first? Who's first back online? Is that your CEO? Is that accounting? In Foundin's case, is that getting your grant application processes back up and running? What's most important? And I think you're going to find as you visit as a company, that becomes an interesting topic of conversation because everybody thinks that they're most important and should be up first. Um, I can give you an example. We did um, a tabletop exercise of an incident response plan with a city who owned a municipal liquor store. And they decided within the city that includes fire, police, administration, water, the whole entire works, they decided the most important thing to get back up and running was the liquor store. They are a tourist town. It brings in money. We would have angry citizens if they can't go there and buy their alcohol for their weekend, right? The police chief said, we've done written reports in the past. We can go to written reports again and bring things online later. Water people said, as long as water is flowing, we can wait. I mean, so it, it, you get interesting responses once you sit down as a company and determine who comes up first. Uh, the other thing that you want with that incident response plan is contact information for every single person that's in there, email, cell phone, home phone, work phone, and print that off. If you're having a bad day and it's sitting on a shared drive in the office that you can't get to, your incident response plan doesn't do you a lot of good. There are sample plans out there. Google them. Um, Center for Internet Security has them. CISA.org, CISA.org has some sample plans. Start with something. Great advice, Lynn. Um, with so many different incidents that you've been a part of, can you walk um, can you walk our listeners through what some of those events look like? You you just touched on the um, the tabletop exercise of a city, but what's a real world um, a, event that you've that you can share information about? World events really are very much driven by your cyber insurance company right now. Most cyber insurance companies have a forensics team that they want to get involved. And oftentimes now what we're seeing is a legal team gets involved at the same time. So once you contact your cyber insurance company, essentially everything comes to a halt at that point in time. 
you're waiting, you get a contract signed with your cyber insurance company, uh, you get a contract signed with the forensics firm, you get a contract signed with the legal company, and everybody's just sitting there waiting and twiddling their thumbs while all of these things are happening. They don't want you to touch their network yet because the forensics team wants to come in and see what's going on. So basically you're sitting there and it's a lot of conference calls and everybody together before you can even start to work on the incident. From there, the forensics team really drives what's happening. Uh, they'll want probably an agent put on every end user device so that they can bring back logs and records from what happened. Uh, they may request hard drives be actually removed from computers, shipped to them so they can do their forensic evidence. So forensics is happening at the same time, you as a company just want to get back up and running. So you're kind of biting your fingernails, twiddling your thumbs, what can we do to start the restoration process? Um, and that realistically, if you've been if you've been encrypted, that can be going to every single computer and re-imaging every single computer, every single server, um, checking all of your printers, those types of things. Oftentimes right now, forensics companies are really limiting the internet access that you can have at the same time. They'll, at times now, we've seen lately, they lock you down to zero internet access out, only whitelisting the companies or the IP addresses that you can get to. Very long, tedious process to determine exactly who you can communicate with. And keep in mind, all of these computers now need to be scanned with some type of an antivirus software to make sure that they are free of viruses and malware before they can come back on the network. So very slow going, methodic, um, meticulous. And it's the only way to recover. And hopefully you have a backup, right? Hopefully you have a backup of everything so that you can things, bring things back online. The one thing that I would say about backups, and we found this in one particular incident response, um, the company, yeah, we've got backups, we're good, we're ready to roll. When we got to the backups, the last backup had been six months ago. The backups have been failing for the past six months, and they had been alerting someone. They had been sending an email every day that they failed, but that particular user had been released from the company five months ago. So. All of the alerts were going to someone that was not receiving them. They did not know that they did not have a backup over six months. So check your backups. Lynn, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, is there is there any pieces of final advice that you want to leave to the listeners today before we before we wrap up? Oh goodness, I think probably the biggest thing, a couple of things, have a plan. Have a plan for everything, an incident response plan, a site security plan. Um, you have to have some type of a plan if you're going to have a bad day. Um, and then remember, people, processes, and products all have to work together. So don't forget about your humans. They are very important in this security uh, you can put in a firewall and stop the bad actors from getting in that way. That's getting pretty good in this world. But your people, we all sometimes make a bad or a questionable decision. So secure them with education, secure them with a process to handle things if they happen to make a questionable decision and make that a good thing. It's a good thing for someone to come and report something, get a second set of eyes on things. I guess those are probably my two takeaways. 
Thanks, Lynn. I really appreciate you joining me today. I hope that our listeners took away uh, some valuable tools and next steps for their organization, um, building a plan, having steps for incident response, having quality backups, and taking care of their people. Um, Lynn, you know, I think the community has learned a lot during the month of October around cybersecurity, um, and we want to continue to educate them. High Point Networks has been a fantastic partner of Foundin for several years, so I very much appreciate um, everything that they have done um, for us and, and allowing you to uh, speak to our um, customers and prospects as well. Um, just reminding our listeners that we will include some of the links that Lynn referenced um, throughout this conversation in the show notes, um, as well as contact information um, and a website for High Point Networks. Uh, and again, Lynn, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. 